0: Our primary reading this morning is from John chapter 13, verses 16 through 31. Would you listen now for the word of the Lord? Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen. But this is to fulfill this passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. I am telling you now before it happens, so that when it happens, so when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. After he said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of him he meant. One of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then, dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival, or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out, and it was night. When he was gone, Jesus said, now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: In just about every historic depiction of Judas, the disciple who betrays Jesus, he's portrayed as some kind of villain. Like, even in the religious art, they make Judas ugly, which like is how you know you've arrived at peak villain status, right? Like, you get the villain look. In fact, the historical character assessment of Judas is so uniformly wicked that he's not even just a name, but an insult. I mean, try calling someone Judas and see what happens. Don't, don't try doing that. That's a bad idea. But is this really fair? After all, if Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, and Jesus did, and if it was part of the divine plan for Judas to betray Jesus, was Judas really all that bad? Some scholars have suggested that he was really just a misunderstood anti-hero or simply an unfortunate victim of fate. One of the questions that we received in our Glad You Asked series, I think, reflected this fear, and it essentially asked this, was Judas fated to betray Jesus? And if that's true, then why does he get such a bad rap? So this morning what I'd like to do is take what I think are three common misconceptions or misinterpretations about Judas, three misconceptions about one what drove Judas to betray Jesus, two what do Judas's choices teach us about human free will and fate, and three what does the death of Judas warn us about? In exchange, I'd like to offer, I think, three helpful redirections on reflecting on this story of a tragic character and what it might both speak to me about where I need conviction, but also hopefully as well alleviate some spiritual anxiety. So first, what drove Judas to betray Jesus a surface reading about Judas in the Bible at first seems to indicate that Judas was driven to betray Jesus primarily out of greed. This is for two reasons. First, multiple gospel narratives repro- uh, report that Judas approached the leaders of the religious establishment with an offer to betray Jesus for money, approximately six dollars to $10,000 in today's value. Second, the Gospel of John uniquely adds that the disciples of Jesus later discovered that Judas used his position as the group's treasurer to steal money. But this explanation cannot make sense of the entire narrative. After all, greed doesn't explain what compels Jesus to be betrayed by Judas in the first place, and more importantly, if Jesus is captured just as planned by Judas, why does Judas then feel terrible and then try to give the money back? Let's look at Matthew 27.3. When Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he repented and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders. He said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood. A number of Bible scholars believe that Judas was in fact associated with the early zealots, a group that would eventually lead a failed revolt against the Roman Empire. We think this in part because Judas's name is listed in Matthew 10 next to Simon the Zealot, and also in part because Judas' last name, Iscariot, seems very close to the ancient word of "Sakari," which literally meant dagger men. So while Judas may have been greedy and corrupt, financial gain was not what was actually driving him to betray Jesus. It was a desire to overthrow the Roman occupiers. Still, you might ask, okay, well, why betray Jesus? I mean, what does that have to do with Judas's politics? Well, the chronology of the gospel accounts vary, but their themes are the same. In every gospel, Judas makes the decision to betray Jesus on the heels of Jesus doing something that would have enraged Judas's political positions. In Mark and Matthew, Jesus talks about being an anointed king that will die. In Luke, Jesus commands his disciples to practice nonviolence and flee from war. And in John, Jesus washes his disciples' feet as a servant and instructs them to do the same. In each one of these accounts, it is then followed by Judas leaving to betray Jesus. And so if Judas is this knife-wielding anti-Roman zealot, who is hoping more than anyone that Jesus is going to bring the violent revolution any one of these instances could have finally set him over the edge he's sick of this martyrdom talk he's sick of all this talk about loving your neighbor instead of hating the romans frankly he's just sick of jesus talking like a loser Because Judas knows better. Judas saw the potential in Jesus from the very beginning. Judas has invested all this time in Jesus and his movement. And now hundreds, if not thousands of Jesus' supporters have been amassed in Jerusalem. And Judas knows that this is the moment. This is the moment they might never have again. Judas has come too far. He's worked too hard. He sacrificed too much for Jesus to only lose his nerve now to back out from a fight. No, Jesus is going to be the Messiah. And Judas is going to make sure. And so he goes to the religious establishment. Pay me something, anything really. And I'll give you Jesus' hidden location at night. But in Judas's logic, this wasn't a real betrayal of Jesus. It was a double cross on the religious elites. The authorities will attempt to arrest Jesus. Jesus and the disciples will be forced to fight back. A riot will turn into a revolt. And a revolt will turn into the promised revolution with Jesus installed as the king, gratefully welcoming a brave Judas by his side. And it almost works. Peter does try to fight back, but Jesus stops him. Jesus gives himself up and is taken away to what will almost certainly be his death. And it's only then that Judas realizes his terrible mistake. No, this is not what he wanted. And then he tries to give the money back. Judas was not fundamentally motivated by greed. Judas was driven by a desire to make Jesus conform to Judas' agenda. Have I ever done this? Decided that my agenda was God's agenda? That my ways were God's ways? And I mean, sure, I've probably prayed for God to help my sports ball team win, and in retrospect, maybe God wasn't rooting for either side. And if you're a Bulldogs, Tigers, or, you know, Gamecock fan, you you know that God has not backed your your team this year. (laughs) But that's a relatively harmless prayer. Yet have I ever decided that God wanted my political party or candidate to win an election? I know some of you are already saying, look, Colin, hey, I've done the work. The candidate I support is working uh, for an ethical, just side. It lines up with Christian understanding of justice and and mercy. And so why shouldn't I think that God supports my side and opposes the other guys? The other guys are clearly bad guys. Y'all, Judas may have been a violent revolutionary, but he correctly identified that the Romans were the oppressors. They were the bad guys. And if we take the gospel narratives at face value, Judas did seem to care about the poor. But Judas was willing to justify any means to achieve his ends. Recently, a politician who identifies as a Christian spoke to a crowd of young adults at a church, and one of the things he said really stood out to me. He said, This, we've turned the other cheek. And I understand, sort of, the biblical reference, I, I, I understand the mentality, but it's gotten us nothing, okay? It's gotten us nothing. Y'all, in some ways, I respect his honesty. He's saying out loud what I at times have thought to myself. I want God to not only conform to my agenda but also my methods. And if God doesn't somehow I will make God do it. I know better than Jesus. Sometimes We're a little bit more like Judas than we want to admit. But I realize that level of self-awareness might be a little anxiety-inducing this morning. After all, if my life is somewhat like Judas in some capacity, then wasn't Judas also fated to do what he did Jesus says in our reading today of John 13 that this is to fulfill the passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me, which is a reference to Psalm 41, which we heard in our call to worship this morning. And so if God made Judas do all this, is that even fair? And perhaps more scary to think about, if God made Judas do this, then what's to stop God from doing this to me? Am I, despite my best attempts, perhaps destined to betray God or abandon my faith? So our second question then is this. What did Judas's choices teach us about human free will and fate? Let's go back to our primary reading in John 13. After he said this, Judas, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, Very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a lost to know which one of them he meant, one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. Simon Peter motioned to the disciple and said, Ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Y'all, for all the heaviness of this story, this is actually something of a humorous scene here. You, you have Peter, who is the, probably the second closest to Jesus. And he looks over at John, who's the first closest to Jesus, and he gestures to John in the story like, John, ask Jesus about who is it in this table? Because Peter's just totally freaked out for some reason. And then so John leans over to Jesus, and he asks the question. Verse 26, Jesus answered, It is the one whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. So, y'all, at this point, no one is hearing this conversation. And the bread has become the most hardcore game of hot potato. And, like, the hot potato is a hand grenade. And in John's mind, like, whoever it lands in their hands, like, when the music stops, like, that's the person who's going to betray Jesus. But we know it's not random. Judas has made a decision to reject Jesus' teachings and impose his own agenda and his own methods on his teacher. We, the reader, know how this is going to play out. Some of you have shared with me. Growing up, uh, Judas's story was paralleled with the evil Egyptian pharaoh. and it was said that as god hardened pharaoh's heart for his eventual destruction so god hardened judas's heart for his eventual destruction however there's not a single line of scripture that makes the connection between pharaoh and judas not only that but scripture does tell us who was controlling the actions of judas and it's never god It's Satan. Let's look at verse 26. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. And as soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Jesus told him, what you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus had said this to him. John is clear. God did not control Judas. Judas cooperated with the agenda of Satan with the adversary. In fact, Jesus in multiple gospel accounts on multiple occasions tries to warn Judas not to go through with his plan. And even here Jesus says which I believe with so much love, what you are about to do, do quickly. And that should have rattled Judas from his delusion that he was in control. That somehow he knew better than Jesus. Even then, it was not too late for him. But I don't think the point of this is just to prove that God did not violate Judas's free will. I think there's something more important to realize here. Y'all, can I confess to you that sometimes I've had a fear that if I was faithful to God, then God was going to take my freedom away. That, that if I was going to give my life to God, then God was going to start confining my choices in a way that I didn't like. That, that God would put me down a path that I didn't really want to go down on, but I had to because that was God's path for my life. But what I think judas's choices teach us about human free will and fate is that god does not take away my freedom sin takes away my freedom when i choose sin when i make choices that advance my agenda but cause harm to others I may think I'm securing my freedom. I may think I'm expanding my options in life, but in reality, my path is getting a little bit more narrow. And when I make decision after decision to sin again and again, my path gets a little more narrow. Until one day, it feels like I have no other choice Judas's decision to betray Jesus was not the result of a single big sinful choice it was the result of a hundred smaller sinful choices and it culminated in what i imagine felt like the only choice rationally for judas it is a tragedy that sin felt like his only choice, but that's what sin does. God wants to give us freedom, but sin wants to control us. And so to answer our our big sermon question this morning, I do tend to think that Judas is more of a victim than he is a villain, but he's not the victim of some fated divine plan. God did have foreknowledge of Judas's choices. He accommodated those choices within a wider plan. But God never forced those choices. Judas is a victim of his own sin. And tragically, he's his own betrayer as well. Let's return to the moment when Judas realizes his agenda has completely fallen apart with the arrest and impending execution of Jesus, Matthew 22, 4. Judas said, I have sinned by betraying innocent blood, but they said, what is that to us? See to it yourself. Throwing down the pieces of silver in the temple, he departed and he went and hanged himself. Judas's suicide is the final tragedy in this story. And I think it begs clarification this morning. What does the death of Judas really warn us about? Some Christian traditions have used this to teach that suicide is the unforgivable sin. Or that suicide is only done by really bad people like Judas. And if you've ever heard that at any point, can I just unequivocally correct that? Suicide is not, it's not the unforgivable sin. And suicide is not committed by really bad people, but rather by people who are in terrible pain. Friends, Judas, he was in terrible pain. Mm -hmm. Which means I think the greatest tragedy of Judas is not that he helped take the life of Jesus but that he took his own life and that he didn't have to the death of Judas is not a warning about suicide but rather a warning about unforgiveness y'all as Christians we talk a lot about forgiveness and we should it's what Jesus commands us to do We should forgive as we have been forgiven. But sometimes the hardest person to forgive is yourself. When we make choices that we realize have caused harm to others, the weight of that can feel overwhelming. And we end up doing further harm to ourselves and those whom we love because we just can't seem to move on. And yet the good news is that we are never without hope. How do we know? During the arrest, trial, and execution of Jesus, Judas was not the only disciple to have made such a costly mistake. There was a second disciple that utterly fails Jesus. Peter. There was the betrayer. But there was also the denier. Both were told by Jesus they would fail him. Both sinned. Both were consumed by the pain of their sin. And yet Peter hangs on just long enough to receive forgiveness. And a kind of forgiveness that goes beyond self-love. Positive thinking or a pep talk, y'all, that would have not been enough to meet Peter in his shame and pain. But Peter is able to receive true, objective forgiveness that fully heals his pain. Where does that kind of forgiveness come from? Matthew connects the prophetic dots for us in verse 6. But the chief priests, taking the pieces of silver, said, "'It's not lawful to put them in the treasury "'since they are blood money. "'After conferring together, they used them "'to buy the potter's field as a place to bury foreigners. "'For this reason, the field has been called "'the field of blood to this day. "'Then was fulfilled what has been spoken "'through the prophet Jeremiah. "'And they took the 30 pieces of silver "'and the price of the one on whom a price has been set,' of whom some of the people of Israel had set a price, and they gave them for the potter's field as the Lord commanded me. When Judas throws the money back at the religious leaders, they ironically can't accept it for ethical reasons. The very money they used to pay for the murder of Jesus, they can't take back now because it's considered blood money. But in their religious hypocrisy, They instead buy a burial plot and inadvertently fulfill a prophecy made hundreds of years prior, which we heard in our first reading this morning. The prophecy implies that the life of God would somehow be priced at 30 pieces of silver. To Judas, to the religious leaders, to humanity, this was all the life of Jesus was worth. But in reality, the life of Jesus was priceless. The life of Jesus purchased true, objective, full forgiveness for the same humanity that put God to death. So Peter gets truly, objectively, fully forgiven, not because Peter is special, not because he did penance, not because he earned that forgiveness, because that was the purpose for which Jesus died. So please, grieve your sin when you realize it's sin. But don't ever grieve to the point of despair. Don't grieve to the point where you miss out on God's forgiveness truly accept God's forgiveness so you can truly forgive yourself. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.
0: All right, Colin, first I would like to say on behalf of everybody, because I got a lot of these uh, texts, thank you. I don't think there's anybody in this room that hasn't been touched by suicide in some way. So thank you. Was Judas forgiven?
1: Mm. So there's two parts to this story that you could... First, I'm say, I just don't know. I don't know. The story doesn't tell us, right? Mm-hmm. There's one part of the story that gives me hope, which is that the text says that Judas repented.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And there's a lot of debate on like that Greek word. And does it mean he changed his mind? Does it mean he really repented? And there's some debate on that. But it's actually, uh, when it's used contextually, it always tends to be means repent, And so there's that hope there that there's a moment of repentance by Judas. But I I, I think because it's parallel to Peter who does receive forgiveness, it seems to imply that Judas missed out. And that's why I think this story is a tragedy. And so I think we have to be very careful not to, this is not a Judas the villain, he gets what he gets. I I think we need to to mourn it. We need to see this in our own selves. We need to see it as something that we want to help protect other people from. And so I don't have a lot of hope. As Judas as a character but man if Judas is like ends up being in heaven one day I'm gonna be like wow that's really good news but so there's there's a little hope in the story but I think the way the story is crafted it's meant to, to show us a, a tragic figure.
0: What about Judas and the Gospel of Judas? what's all
1: that about? Yeah, so um, some of you may have heard about the Gospel of Judas. There's like the Gospel of Thomas, Gospel of Mary Magdalene, Gospel of uh, Judas. This was uh, something written probably in the third, late third century, and it actually posits Judas as not just the the, uh, the anti-hero, but the hero. Uh, and so this is what Gnostics did is they're like, let's write new stories about Jesus they are like counter-Christianities. And so they make Judas like the only guy that understood Jesus. And so like Judas and Jesus are like, hey, I got a plan. You're going to betray me right? And then I'm going to like die. And it's, it's all, and, and Judas is like, I'll make the heroic sacrifice because Jesus is like, yeah, you'll be hated for a while, but eventually you'll be vindicated. Uh, and so this is like a, a Gnostic gospel. Uh, it's obviously didn't make the cut for various reasons, uh, but one of which is that it wasn't written until, you know, 150 years after Jesus. But uh, if you want to talk more about Gnostic gospels, we can nerd out on that sometime.
0: Yeah, please, somebody make Colin's day and nerd out with him about the Gnostic (laughs) Gospels. But that's all the questions that we have right now. If y'all have any more questions or questions about the questions, feel free to text them in. Colin will address them, talk about them tomorrow on Facebook Live.
1: Great, thank you.